You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Meet Stacy. Stacy's on the hunt for a new pair of trendy glasses. Call me picky, but I just can't find the one. Luckily for Stacy, Walmart Vision has virtual try-on. Now she can try on hundreds of frames virtually, then upload her prescription and get new glasses delivered right to her door. Really? <laughs> yeah, really. Well, the hunt just took a turn for the better. Buy your next pair of glasses with virtual try-on from Walmart. Welcome to Easy Eye Care. Welcome to your Walmart. Restrictions apply. See walmart.com for details. Welcome to the Smirconish Podcast for Independent Minds. A headline from Gallup inspired me for today's survey question. Their headline, Ukrainians support fighting until victory. Our question today, have Americans lost interest? Have Americans lost interest in Ukraine? Here to discuss that subject and a lot more, the editor-in-chief of Gallup, as editor-in-chief Mohammed Yunus leads the Gallup news team and joins me now. Mohammed, thank you so much for being my guest. It's so great to be here. And please remind me to reference the opening song to your show because I actually used it to talk about some of these data last week. Is that right? Steelers wheel stuck in the middle? Stuck in the middle. So before the war, Michael, what was fascinating is leadership approval of the U.S. and Russia um, was kind of lukewarm among Ukrainians. They definitely weren't hot on Vladimir Putin. But they weren't very big on the U.S. It was like 36 percent approval. And at the time, I said Ukrainians are sort of stuck in the middle because they weren't all in either side. Since the war and since this latest poll, man, has a lot changed. Um, U.S. approval is now above 60 percent and less than one percent of Ukrainians, uh, as you could imagine, approve of the job Vladimir Putin is doing. So they were stuck in the middle. But now things have really changed. How hard is it for you to poll in Ukraine? That's a great question. I was just actually thinking about that as you're as we were getting ready this morning. You know, it is pretty amazing that technology enables us to poll in a war zone. Um, we are reaching people via phone. So we're able to pretty much call all areas of the country. Um, we break out some of our data through heat maps and show you the differences between different regions of the country on some issues. But it was remarkable that we were actually able to pull over a thousand Ukrainians um, uh, at the beginning of uh, the two first two weeks of September. We're also back in the field now, and we're going to have new data hopefully by the year's end on how things have developed. I read uh, in a domestic capacity. I read something this week, and I wish I could pinpoint it. It may have been Nate Cohn in the Times. I don't know, but someone made the observation that it's so difficult for pollers polling organizations these days that they've got to essentially log two hours worth of calls before you get a live wire, a person who's willing to engage with you for the survey. How hard is it both domestically and in a case like this? It's really, really different when we talk about domestically and globally. Domestically, that's true. Um, at Gallup, we've consistently now since the 1930s been uh, asking Americans uh, all kinds of questions. We really started asking folks on the phone in the in the 1980s and 90s. The response rates have gone down a lot, and that's a really big challenge with phone polling in the U.S. 
particularly when you want to use it to sort of what, you know, the old school pollsters used to do, forecast election outcomes. When you go to the global scene, though, Michael, it's so different. People are overwhelmingly eager to share yeah. their views. Um, and not just that, in some of the least free societies across the world, and we poll across 140 to 160 countries a year, in some of the least free societies are where we have the highest response rates. Um, that's not true if you're going to ask them about a politically dicey issue or get them in trouble where they live. But when we ask people about how their lives are going, people are very eager to share how it's going um, in middle and low income economies across the world. I was thinking that if you're polling in Ukraine, such as the level of distrust that they have of Putin uh, and of skullduggery, that they you might have to convince them that it's really a legitimate Western source that is just simply trying to find out how they look at the issue. Absolutely. And again, what we're really trying to ask people about is not like a situational analysis of what's happening in the war where you live. Um, We're really trying to ask people questions about just their day to day experiences. Do they have access to basic needs? How safe do they feel where they live? Um, And we do ask them about some of the larger sort of policy issues implicating uh, impacting their situation. But we're very mindful to ask questions that we really um, feel that a respondent, no matter what their view or situation, certainly would not feel that they're um, in danger to answer. One of the reasons we do that, of course, is to not put people in danger, but also we've learned that those data are not very useful. Um, So a really important part of what we do, especially in situations like this, is when we get data back, we have a whole quality control process where we really look through our data analysts and our statisticians and our local experts in country uh, to make sure that what we're capturing actually makes sense and is a fair thing to ask somebody in a dangerous situation. I'm looking at the takeaways, the top line items from the story headlined Ukrainians support fighting until victory. Number one is this 70 percent of Ukrainians favor fighting to win. What exactly does that mean? What is winning? That's such an important question. So our next question that we ask them is basically, which of the following would have to happen for Ukraine to declare victory? And 91 percent of Ukrainians said that all territory lost from 2014 to now should be regained in order to reclaim victory. It's so important, Michael, to talk about the timing of this poll. This poll came right on the beginnings of a very um, notable, and, and at the time people were skeptical, counteroffensive by the Ukrainian forces. Um, what I'm most interested in understanding in this next poll is how has that percentage changed now that Ukraine's infrastructure is really being bombed heavily? Um, a lot more people are going to be in the dark and not have energy in these next several weeks than they were in the past. Um, so that will to fight till the end um, is very, very high in the country now. It's definitely a little lower in the regions that are to the far east, sort of right on the front line, as you would imagine. But a majority of Ukrainians across the country, uh, they want to see their military push back uh, this Russian invasion all the way to you know, gaining all of their territory back. If the definition of winning is to get back all the territory, is Crimea included in that definition? Yes, we we definitely wanted to see what the 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 appetite was for that. And that would include Crimea. Um, the, The challenge, of course, is, you know, how does that happen? And your first question was so critical. How does global support look for that effort as these months drag along. Um, One of the biggest news stories, of course, this week on Ukraine was 
Republican leaders in Congress indicating basically that because of inflation, um, if there's a change in leadership on Congress, there might be a different attitude about what they've been calling a blank check to Ukraine. Uh, we've already seen President Vladimir Zelensky come out this morning and sort of denounce that and, and ask for help with the situation with the dam in, in part of the country that's now being targeted. So things are moving really fast. Um, the last time we asked Americans about support for the war, we found a majority of them over 60, there's about 66 percent support it. Democrats far more likely than Republicans to support it, but still a majority of Americans want to help uh, Ukraine fight off this invasion. And have you seen I, I was going to get to that, but I'll get to it now. Have you seen a, a, a diminishing number of Americans supportive of Ukraine? Not yet. No, we've <laughs> only really done two polls. It's It's been a while since we've asked the questions. But even looking in other polls, there isn't a huge collapse in support. Um, I would venture to say quite the contrary. Now that this counteroffensive has really shown some impact um, it would be surprising to see people say, basically, uh, it's not worth it. Because I think when we started this war, the conventional wisdom certainly was that the Ukrainians would not be anywhere near where they are today in terms of their ability to fight back. Mohammed Yunus is the editor-in-chief of the Gallup News Team. This is the Smirconish Podcast from Sirius XM. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. You can make money the hard way becoming a bullfighter or save money the easy way with Xfinity Mobile. It sure beats making money as a human cannonball. Now through March 21st, learn how existing Xfinity customers can get a free line of unlimited intro for a year when they buy one unlimited line. That's hundreds of dollars in savings on your wireless bill. Visit XfinityMobile.com today. Restrictions apply. Xfinity Mobile requires Xfinity Internet. Reduced speeds after 20 gigabytes of usage per line. Data thresholds may vary. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM channel 124 and on the SXM app. Mohammed Yunus is the editor in chief of the Gallup News Team. So you said 70 percent of Ukrainians favor fighting to win. Uh, I hope I'm not catching you cold with this. But if you isolate just those easternmost regions that are most subject to controversy and the fighting, where does that number end up? How do they feel? 
It goes closer to about 60. The lowest of all percentages is 56% want to fight to win. And those are the folks that are in the far, far east, right on the border. Have you polled? Of of course, you know, Putin has had his own elections uh, that we've discussed here recently and nobody buys into any. Have you asked similar questions about secession from Russia? We have not. And that would be a really good example of the kind of question we probably wouldn't want to ask in that environment because of just the sensitivity of the situation and what was happening in those players. So, and, no, and, we and have I not guess, asked those questions. And I guess because you'd, you'd be concerned as to whether you're, you're going to get an accurate number. Absolutely. You know, the other thing we're really concerned about is um, not making people feel less safe than they already feel in a war zone. Information has been a major tool of war in this conflict. Um, so, you know, more importantly than the data, we really are not we're trying to get information that will help the world understand what's happening in Ukraine. The last thing we want to do is create more danger for folks that are already in that situation. Mohammed, you do presidential approval ratings, correct? Absolutely. Well, what is the business that Gallup got out of a couple of years ago relative to presidents or presidential elections? That's a great. I'm so happy you asked that, Michael. People tend to make assumptions. Um, so for a decade now, we've, what we've stepped away from is forecasting the outcome of presidential elections with polling. Um, our founder, George Gallup, started doing that in the 30s, and he got really famous for doing it. But in many of his speeches, what he actually explained was that it was an attempt for him to capture the public's focus on the validity of his sampling method. So he really used it as a platform to prove a statistical point. It took on a life of its own. We got to a point where we really feel like a lot of organizations out there now are doing that. Um, Some are doing them responsibly. Frankly, a lot of them are doing it irresponsibly. And we just want to be doing what no other organization can offer. So our focus is really not on forecasting the outcome of an election, but really trying to understand how is American society changing over time as it relates to government, voting, politics, et cetera. But we are very heavily involved uh, in tracking how Americans feel about the electoral process. We just did a poll on voter ID laws and found that most Americans do support someone having a a photo ID to to vote. Most Americans support essentially opening more doors and pathways to people voting uh, other than that policy. So we're still asking all those questions. We're just stepping back and letting others uh, do the forecasting. And we're really trying to keep our powder dry for those longer social changes because in our opinion, honestly, as social researchers, we think that's really where the game is. Uh, the, the partisan back and forth, that's going to be the story in every cycle. But a lot of the challenges America faces today really transcend Republican-Democrat talking points. And what's amazing, Michael, is that Americans are starting to realize that. Um, we're also now historically at a relative high point of people who identify as independents in this country, 40% of people. And most importantly, younger Americans are sticking with that independent identification longer than previous generations. So young so this people is more likely to say I'm independent. But what we're noticing is young people did in America are sticking with that longer than their previous generation cohorts. So, so this, this, is, this is a bone that I need to pick with Gallup, and I'll, I'll do it with Mohammed Yunus. And thank you for being so gracious with your time. I, I am constantly looking at your ongoing questioning of whether Americans regard themselves as an R, a D, or an I. And as you well know, it's consistent that a plurality say, I'm an independent, I'm not a Republican or a Democrat. But there always then seems to be a follow up where it's and I I say this a bit sarcastically, it's like the pollster says, yeah, sure you are. Now tell us which way you lean. 
Why is yep. it so important to ask that follow up? Why why are you disbelieving if you are that there really are a plurality of people like me who don't lean e- either way? They they really are eyes. Michael, you couldn't have asked, but actually, I'm I'm right there with you. I have been a registered independent since I could vote. Um, I will always be one. Um, so I'm with you. I think the reason that we do it actually is statistical. We've learned over time that when we ask those lean questions, do you lean this way or that way? What we're able to do is really narrow it down to the hardcore independents, people that would consider themselves like you and me. It's I'm not really leading either way. Um, the Democrat, Republican isn't really in my calculation when I come to vote. I'm more focused on the issues I care about and, and what I want to vote on. So the reason we do it is because statistically it's proven that it is a more clear look at who independents are. We also know that depending on what's happening in the election cycle, we want to also understand who are those people that identify as independents but are more likely to be swayed one way or another, depending on what's happening. So in this election, a really big issue, of course, as you know, is the economy and inflation. So it's really useful for us to understand now that this is an environment that technically historically would favor Republicans because Americans tend to see the GOP as better handling the economy. How do those independents swing in an environment where inflation is at you know, a record high, at least for a couple of decades now? I'm I'm interested in that too. Although I've come to the opinion over the last several cycles that that those who are swinging from one way to the other might not be as important as motivating those who are already entrenched. I, the way I say it is that I think our elections have become more about motivation than persuasion in this age of polarization. Fascinating. That is such a good point. That is such a good point. Do you share it? Um, I, I, I do. I think, you know, what I've learned, uh, Michael, is I've, I really shy away from making generalizations on the national scene because America, as you know, more than most, it, it's a pocket of situations, you know, so what you how you vote and what you're voting on, especially in a midterm election, is such a local thing. Um, so I, I think that that's true generally. But, you know, what's happening locally has proven to really, really matter to people. For example, abortion. We know that uh, more Americans today say that abortion is it's really important for them to vote for somebody that shares their view on abortion. That did go up after the, the decision leaked from the Supreme Court, up about 10 points to 52 percent of Americans saying the position of the person I vote for is very it's really important for them to be similar to mine. That being said, when you think about just people voting in a midterm election, a lot of folks are voting in districts where abortion really isn't an issue or even on the ballot in any way. But inflation in the economy is hitting every single one of us. Um, The majority of Americans now say that inflation is causing them financial hardship. So these issues, I think, can be really important in certain locations. Um, But I I have learned to sort of uh, caution against generalizing one sort of issue of focus for a community across the whole country because people are just voting in different environments. Mohammed, I, I, I get that you're not sort of caught up in the horse race. It's not what you do. You are you regard yourself more as social scientists. I'm kind of curious from the sidelines as you see this intense interest in the midterms and people reading the tea leaves and scrutinizing all of these pollsters who are caught up. That is their bread and butter. Like what runs through your mind? We, we want to know, is this candidate up by two point three percent? Is it really Herschel Walker? Is it John Fetterman? What's going on in Nevada? And with your expertise from the sidelines, what are you surmising? 
You know, I'll tell you this. I'm, I'm a huge uh, Wu-Tang fan, and one of the most famous lines they have is, you've got to read the label. And my only <laughs> advice to folks who are looking at, at methods um, or at, at polls is really look at the methodology of the poll. How representative is that poll? One big challenge with state polls in general is that it's harder to get a representative sample of a state population than it is of the national population for all kinds of statistical weird reasons I won't get into. But, you know, it's not to in any way diminish those efforts. Those are very hard things to do, to use those polls to forecast an outcome. Um, I would encourage all, especially when it comes to state polls, really take it with a grain of salt, look closely at the methodology, um, and keep in mind that things can really change really quickly in American politics, particularly in the super connected environment we're in. So things can shift. Well, that was excellent. Thank you for the briefing. I hope you'll come back. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me, Michael. It was a pleasure. Mohammed Mohammed Yunus, editor-in-chief, ladies and gentlemen, of the Gallup News Organization. That was a real privilege. You heard the uh, the result. And by the way, he's like the legit pollster. Me, I'm having fun with my website and our provocative questions, but I'm interested nonetheless in how you're looking at this. Have Americans lost interest in Ukraine? 70% of Ukrainians favor fighting to win. What does that mean? Uh, it means that they, they want everything back, including Crimea, including Crimea. More Ukrainians closer to the ground war favor a quick end. There's no surprise in that. 91% who back the war define victory as retaking all seized territory. So that's what Gallup says about how Ukrainians are looking at the conflict. From Pew Research Center, this recent headline, as war in Ukraine continues, Americans' concerns about it have lessened. Maybe that's not a surprise. Seven months into Russia's invasion of Ukraine and following Ukraine's recent retaking of substantial ground from Russian forces, Americans express less concern than they did in the spring about Ukraine being defeated by Russia and about the war expanding into other countries. I said yesterday there's a there's a conflict looming. Assuming that Republicans do retake control of the House of Representatives, maybe, maybe not get control of the Senate. You saw in uh, some back and forth between Kevin McCarthy and former Vice President Mike Pence this week that they're on opposite sides of this. What did McCarthy say? No more blank check for Ukraine. And then when asked about that in one of his media appearances this week, former Vice President Pence uh, you know, sort of underscored his ongoing resolve to be supportive of Ukraine. I don't what I'm trying to say is I don't think it's a certainty that Republicans, especially in the Senate, are going to allow a big check to get written again to Ukraine. And the share of U.S. adults who are extremely or very concerned about a Ukrainian defeat down 17 percent since May. Now, maybe that number has gone up again because of the nuclear saber rattling that Putin has engaged in. Um, But Ukraine, strong resolve. Americans, not the way that we had been in looking at the conflict with the Russian invasion. All of which brings me to today's poll question. Have we lost interest in Ukraine? This is the Smirconish Podcast from Sirius XM. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4 
Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM channel 124 and on the SXM app. Dan, I'm looking at you on a uh, larger iPad. I broke down and, and got a bigger iPad. Oh. And I'm, I'm liking it because I, I can see you much more clearly. Yeah. Cool. I love I got, it. I, I, did you know that that they, they give you trade-in value? I got $350 trade-in on my, my old iPad for my new iPad. I did not I know did not that. Know that. How yeah, old, I didn't know that either. How, that's a lot. How old was your old iPad? Uh, I, I want to say four years, no more than four, could be three plus. You know, 350 big ones is still uh, still significant for that, even, you know, because that's, that's, I, I would call that old in today's day of technology. So yeah. I'm surprised, but how yeah, big is the like new, it. how big is it, the new one? It was this big. <laughs> Pretty, I don't, I, I don't know. I'm, it looks to me like it's, uh, I, I should know this, but I, but I don't. It's probably about 13 Maybe oh. twelve inches. Okay. I, I bought it. I bought it both for doing the radio program, mm-hmm. and because at the unconvention when I spoke for the first time, I used my iPad instead of paper. Oh, and I have a I have a whole methodology, and I'm thinking that I'm going to now switch to. I'm thinking I'm going to switch to uh, using the iPad for for presentations. Wow. Yeah, I just get I just get a little nervous that I I don't know that that I lose battery or somebody t- sends me a text yeah. from home and I get distracted and gotta type So I've got to think it through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but I'm liking what I have. Nothing I'm liking what practice. I have very sure. very much. Yeah. Uh okay, Jacob, Boise, Idaho. Have we lost interest in Ukraine? Um, I, I haven't lost interest in it, but I am one of those folks that would say I'm not worried about him um, being defeated because I'm more optimistic now than I was in May that they aren't going to be defeated, that they'll have to negotiate some sort of uh, settlement where the majority of Ukraine will be intact. In okay, but 
But what I learned, what I learned from my conversation with the Gallup editor in chief is that Ukraine, they want to win and winning to them means getting everything back, including Crimea, which was annexed in, was it 2014 or 2015? I don't think that's realistic. It was 2014. And I think that that's, um, that's on the table as far as Ukraine's going right now. So I think in, you know, being from Idaho, I, you know, I still support what's going on over in Ukraine. I still support sending more money to them. And I think that uh, taking Crimea back is exactly where they need to be looking at because that'll send a message to China that Taiwan's not worth the fight. But maybe but maybe that's not realistic. I'm not expert enough to know what's realistic. I think at a certain point, you got to try and cut a deal. Yeah, you think and that's... I, I agree. They're, they'll have to cut a deal at some point. And the question is, when will there be enough pain for Putin that he will, you know, quit his aggression? And when you start taking ground back in Crimea, that's when that's going to be what forces them to the table. And I'm, I'm no expert either, but you, you keep going and you keep pushing until until they have to come to the table to negotiate. What what might. Thank you, sir. Appreciate your phone call. What might change things, of course, are these utility strikes that seem to be Putin's focus now with looming winter. If folks are cold during the winter or they're, they're paying astronomical uh, numbers for <clears throat> heating oil, that'll change it on a dime as well. Liz, thank you so much. You're in New York on Ukraine. You wanted to say what today? So I think that, first of all, Michael, thank you for your program. It's my favorite program to listen to. Appreciate um, it. If it's not music, it's you. So All right. I'll um, take that. I think that the uh, uh, United States not having as much attention for Ukraine just speaks to our larger problem of no attention span. Um, oh, yeah. Anything that happens, we have maybe six months max before people are just fatigued with that and on to the next thing. Even even conversations in person that we have with people, how many people whip out their cell phones? We can't even last five minutes. So looking at the way people treated COVID, a couple of months we were interested and then people were over it and just wanted to move on. And it's the same thing um, with this war. It's not in our backyard, so it's easy to just get bored and not pay attention. And I think that uh, it just it speaks to a larger issue in our country. I agree with you. And we're on information overload. Uh, these, the, the cable outlets have got to be on 24-7. That takes a lot. So they've got a lot of content that they're constantly finding, and therefore we're watching a lot of content. It's it's hard to keep pace. I mean, I will say this, and thank you, Liz. Thanks for the compliment. Uh, this is what I do for a living. So I, I don't have a quote-unquote real job. What am I paid to do? I am paid primarily to read, not even to speak, to read. And it's a lot for me, even where it's my sole focus, just to stay on top of everything. Because it's coming at you from every which way. And not only the political realm, but but so many cultural things and sports, uh, especially at this time of year when you've got four different leagues going at It's very hard to stay on top of it. So I understand when someone who's working a conventional job and raising a family and, and paying a mortgage – Ukraine just fades from consciousness. I think we're there now, and I'm troubled by it because I don't think that the threat has been diminished. If anything, I think the threat is worse than it was at the outset. That would be a good question.
Is Russia a scarier proposition today than it was seven months ago? I would argue it is. Brett, quickly from New Brunswick, Canada, you most wanted to say what? Uh, that I love your show, Michael, and I think, unfortunately, because we only have so many, so much space in our brains, we're paying bills, we're thinking about how we're going to heat our house this winter, uh, we're thinking about how we're putting fuel in our cars, um, we're going to lose sight on Ukraine because you can choose not to pay attention to Ukraine unless you're watching news all the time or, or choosing to, whereas I have to pay my bills all the time. You can and escape I think that's you- going to be painful. Totally agree. You can escape Ukraine, but when you go to the grocery store, you're not escaping inflation. Bob, you're in Ithaca, New York. You most wanted to say what? Michael, thank you for taking my call. Uh, I have lived through the Cold War, okay? And I remember as a child, okay, having to get under my desk and practice nuclear bomb tests, okay? And this is like deja vu all over again with with the nuclear threats okay but that being said war okay for the right reason is just okay and i believe okay the fact that putin invaded crimea and, and ukraine and is trying to bolster okay the soviet union as he sees it okay is evil and it's wrong And I totally support the Ukraine and us helping them any way we can. I just see, first of all, I like and agree with everything you've said, except I was just a few years shy of of having to go under the desk. Uh, When this all began happening, I remember for the first four weeks of the invasion, I made sure I was wearing a blue and gold tie on Saturdays on CNN. And then it kind of drifted from consciousness and then... Uh, in my neighborhood, you would see flags. I'll bet you saw this in your area, too. Where people were putting up Ukrainian colors, and that, too, has gone away. The anecdotal is what causes me to suggest that we're, we're losing interest or have lost interest. The Smirconish Podcast for independent minds. Listen to Michael Smirconish live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124 or anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Meet Stacy. Stacy's on the hunt for a new pair of trendy glasses. Call me picky, but I just can't find the one. Luckily for Stacy, Walmart Vision has virtual try-on. Now she can try on hundreds of frames virtually, then upload her prescription and get new glasses delivered right to her door. Really? <laughs> yeah, really. Well, the hunt just took a turn for the better. Buy your next pair of glasses with virtual try-on from Walmart. Welcome to Easy Eye Care. Welcome to your Walmart. Restrictions apply. See walmart.com for details.